Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. It's May 8th, Sunday. And so if you're listening today, happy Mother's Day. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, whenever you may be listening to this, um, hope that you had a chance to celebrate uh, the mothers in your lives, whether they be your own mother, uh, your partner, your sister, your niece, anybody. Um, before we get to the rest of the episode, I do also want to mention that today, uh, Mother's Day, uh, while it is a celebratory day for many of us, for some of our friends, it's a tough day. Um, thinking about their mothers who uh, are no longer a part of their lives um, for one reason or another, um, many times out of their control. And so uh, recognizing that uh, while it is a celebration for many, um, particularly our children, uh, to celebrate their mothers, it is a tough time for some. Um, and we want to make sure that we hear you, we see you, and that we um, honor your lives and story as well. Um, I just got back from a seven-day speaking tour across the U.S., uh, left home last Sunday, um, came back very, very early this morning around 2 a.m. here. Um, and it's been such an honor and a joy uh, to be able to uh, take our stories, collective stories that I sh- uh, listen to and learn from our show and through my own experiences and to be able to share that to audiences uh, across the country. I uh, want to shout out some of our clients and, and friends who have uh, welcomed us along the way. Uh, the Art Dog Group in Chicago, uh, LEK Consulting uh, with offices across the country, uh, Kellogg School of Management, uh, Asian Management Association, the Rose Holman Institute in Terre Haute, Indiana, Dartmouth Tuck School of Business, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite places to go, and uh, they've always invited me back. Uh, honored to host a dialogue uh, with the founders of Chime TV and upcoming Asian American cable TV network, Lowenstein Sadler Law Firm, uh, Asians and Advertising's First Breaking Barriers uh, panel. And on Friday in New York City, uh, if you were there, I am so grateful. I'm in partnership with The Wing, a co-working space uh, focused on women. Uh, we hosted one of our first, uh, perhaps if not our first, uh, in-person event uh, called APAM Night Market. And so um, friends from all over joined us. Uh, big shout out to our friends, uh, Lunar, Sean, and Kevin, uh, Sarah from Win Coffee uh, Company, and Carol uh, from Mako and uh, Soko, the drink sword company, and so many others. Uh, we raised money for Heart of Dinner. We raised money for Apex, raised awareness, and had a great event on Friday night. And so uh, thank you to everybody who made all of this possible. Uh, a personal shout out to Patrick Armstrong for joining me on the road and for uh, believing in what we do here. Um, and then most importantly, uh, for me at least, uh, shout out to my wife, Kangwa, uh, celebrating Mother's Day with her today. Uh, for believing that we could turn this little idea uh, of a Asian American story platform, Asian American storytelling platform into a viable and growing business uh, with which we can support our family and our future. So again, uh, thank you so much to those who have joined us along the way, who have listened to this show. If you're new here, welcome. If you're joining us again for the 144th time, thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to live out my dream uh, through our stories. Today's episode is a special one, as we have done, because um, this makes our second annual Mother's Day episode. We are joined by a mother, a dear friend of mine, Angela Kim, uh, who, by the way, is uh, last year's Mother and Mother's Day episode, Lee Wynn's sister-in-law. Uh, completely unintentional until I realized that it was intentional. Um, and so um, Angela is an amazing woman. She's an entrepreneur. She is the 
founder, the voice, the face, uh, the, the mother in charge, the woman in charge of Mo Mommy Diary, a, a global brand and a global platform for her to share her mother's stories and for others to uh, build community uh, in the lives and the stories of motherhood um, with a presence on Instagram, uh, Pinterest, and other places. Uh, Angela has created for herself uh, an amazing opportunity not only to provide for herself, but for uh, other mothers to come together and share stories and to find healing through some difficult conversations. And so we'll learn a little bit about uh, where Angela came from, uh, how she got the idea to start all of this and and what it means for her uh, to be an Asian American creator in the motherhood space for now and then for the future as we inspire other people to join along. And so uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, whatever you are doing today to celebrate the moms in your lives, you're thinking about the moms uh, in your lives. Thank you for joining us. And without further ado, I am honored to share this conversation with Angela Kim. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Asian Americans. Uh, thank you for joining in what today will be, by the time you're listening to this, Mother's Day. And so uh, we're excited to share this conversation with uh, perhaps the most uh, famous Korean-American mom or the most influential. Um, she'll say she's not, but... Um, and I just actually realized a very, very special connection. So, uh, but first, uh, let's welcome our friend Angela Kim, who many of you know in the internet, many universes as Mommy Diary. Angela, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Jerry, for having me. Hi, everyone. It's uh, it's such an honor to be on this show. I am such a huge fan of what you do in the Asian American community, and I'm really excited to chat with you today. Tell us about yourself. Uh, you are a mother, obviously, but you have also built a business, a very successful business uh, in the content space around sharing about your motherhood experience um, and, you know, being not just mother in the respective of taking care of your children, but the various things that moms go through that um, I think particularly in the light of this being uh, both Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and Mental Health Awareness Month, you bring to a light a lot of the things that uh, many of our moms certainly never were given permission or even dreamt that we could talk about. So uh, give us a, a brief introduction to who Angela Kim is. Yeah, so um, my name is Angela Kim. I was once Angela Lee. So some of you, if you've known me in my past life, I was Angela Lee. Um, I am currently the creator of Mommy Diary. I blog, I create content online, and my main thing i guess I, I i call myself a storyteller above all i'm a digital storyteller and i began my blog about eight years ago so i was always a blogger um old school blogger like myspace friendster blogspot days and like zanga yeah zanga old zanga, school? yes zanga old school <laughs> i loved it that, i was in college i think i always liked journaling my life just sharing I was like an oversharer I guess and so I always had different lifestyle vlogs but they never really did well in terms of garnering audience after my life stopped being so interesting right so on in college I was on Zynga I loved blogging never thought that this could become my future career and I became a mother and once I became a mother I completely just went off online and I found myself um, very young. I had my first daughter when I was 23. I had my second one right when I was like 26. I was completely isolated from all my friends. And I was the first person to become a mother. 
and I always wanted to be a young mom. I don't know why. I always had this like fantasy about uh, young motherhood. Yet when I became a mother, I realized, oh shoot, this is not what I expected it to be. So after my mm. second baby, I was hit hard with postpartum depression, which um, made me seek therapy, and which kind of brought me back to writing. And during that time, I found a blog called Mommy Diary. And I think that's when I really began blogging with purpose. And that's kind of how Mommy Diary came about. And um, it's also important for me to share that my first daughter was born with a genetic condition called Syngap-1, which a lot of people, I mean, even I didn't know what it was. It's a very rare genetic condition. And pretty much parts of the, some of the symptoms are autism-like qualities, um, a seizure disorder, intellectual disability, a lot of just overall global developmental delay. So when I was going through this, um, I was having a really hard time. And I realized there is nobody like me in the world at the time. That's what it felt like. Um, no one has a special needs child. No one is going through postpartum depression. What is wrong with me? I think the exploration, the deep dive into myself that I did during this time is what brought me to my full-time, very fulfilling career that I love today. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, it's important as parents, I think, um, we're, we're grateful for everything our parents have done for us. But where I think many of us, and certainly you've shared this too, is just, you know, what can we do a little bit differently? Not better, but differently uh, to help both of our children and even ourselves, our spouses, our partners, and our peers feel more positively or more open about the experiences that we go through. Um, so help us understand. So we now know you as, as as Mommy Diary. You have hundreds of thousands of people on LinkedIn. You get millions of views on, on Pinterest and other places. Um, you get to travel with your family. You get to um, work with wor the world's top brands and in introducing their products to a world, uh, interest bringing products to an audience that trusts you for your judgment, and and now you've built uh, this actual business around your lifestyle of being a mom, and also, uh, you know what what I think is awesome of of highlighting your your family and the experience that you're going through. Um, but this was not your first chosen career, and and to help us understand all that, uh, we want to roll back the clock just a little bit and help us understand um, or share with us uh, the the Lee family. Um, immigration journey to America, you know, how did that happen? Where did you move to? And and share with us a little bit about a younger version of Angela. Yeah, this is so interesting because I've never actually shared about this. I think like the universe is like bringing me back to this place where I'm about to go back to Korea. I just booked my flight to Korea in July with my family. And I never thought this was possible with my crazy busy life with four children but I made it a priority because I realized my daughter who is already in ninth grade I can't believe how fast the time passed and she's never seen Korea I was so busy with the you know with my life with raising children and just being an overachiever that I always was that I just looked back and realized my daughter's already in high school and she's missing this entire half of herself so we're going back to Korea. My mom's in Korea right now. And just yesterday, she was sending me photos of my birthplace back in Wonju. 
And um, back then, it was like this really amazing, like, apatu, right? They call it apatu, not an apartment, like, tall building. And now it's like over 30 years old and so old. And now I'm realizing, wow, like, life really came back full circle. And I'll be going back to my past as a mother of four children. So I was born in a place called Wonju in South Korea. And I was always an overachiever, um, outspoken, kind of bossy kid, I would say. My mom thought I had a really strong personality for a girl. And I would always get in trouble for talking back. I was that kid. Um, so I think my personality, personality-wise, I think I was always meant to be a leader than a follower. Although it, t- it took me so many years to embrace this. Um, my whole life, I had a lot of shame for my outspokenness and my bossiness. Or my mom used to always say, you talk back too much. You know, I was not very obedient. So I was living in Korea. I never wanted to come to America. My mom had a sister who lived here. And she visited America when we were young. And I think from then, she saw this whole other world here. So pretty much, I think the first 10 years of my life, it was my mom talking to my dad, talking him into coming to America because she saw something. Mm-hmm. But my dad's really old school. He All his family's there. He's a veterinarian. He had a very um, fulfilling business. He didn't really have a reason to come to America. So it was a huge move for us to uproot everything and to come to America when we don't really have family here. So my parents were like the pioneers in their family. So I came here in elementary school, like a lot of kids, I think I repeat a third grade, right? And when you come, when you're in Korea, and you're always like this, I was like, can I talk in Korean? Like, can I say a Korean word? I was always like the sure. classroom panjang, like the president, right? So you're this like, you know, um, this straight A good student, you come to America, and you become like, this fob right you don't speak the language and thank god my parents moved us to a place um, in Gardena where there were a lot of Korean kids in my class they had an ESL program and I actually am in contact with some of the friends that were in that class with me so luckily I never had to deal with like the racism Um, and I was young enough I was resilient enough so I'd say my move from Korea to America was pretty smooth at the time. And I think I was, my brain was young enough to kind of adjust and it was like, you know, able to absorb the different cultures and the languages. So it was fine. So my elementary school years were pretty good, but I think it's junior high when it hit me. When I was in eighth grade, um, the teenage, right? Like the teenage, hormones or the rage I guess I was always this um, really good kid my mom is a very hard-working first-generation immigrant mother she worked multiple jobs to support my father who now had to so my dad went from a uh, veterinarian like he went to Sordakyo a very like elite right in Korea to coming here and starting over as a student he had to take all the exams again. And so he pretty much didn't have a license as as a vet in America. So it was now looking back, like that was really crazy, right? Like we were fine. I think a lot of families come to America because maybe there's like something they're leaving behind that 
negative. But for us, we had to leave a very positive childhood and come to this place where we had to start over completely. And my mom was very strict, like many, you know, um, Korean mothers. Looking back, my mom was a very strong, almost like a martyr. She did everything, right? She would work. She would come home. There was always healthy Korean dishes on the table. My mom, looking back, she was amazing. I don't even know how she did what she did. But when I hit eighth grade, you know, I was finding myself, right? And then I was like this bossy kid who was always told not to talk back. And I would always get in trouble for talking back. And I was discovering myself. In eighth grade, there was this one instance where I was bullied by these uh, kids or like these older kids. I never talk about this, but I think that was really what changed the entire trajectory of my adolescence. So I was a straight A student. These like older high school gangster girls came to my house. They wanted to fight me and I had to, you know, leave the house. I was forced to fight one of the girls. And then there were like 10 of them just standing around watching me. And I couldn't act scared, although I was really scared. So I think after that, I remember the fight, I came home. I couldn't tell anybody. My parents weren't even home, right? Because even when you're 13, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but we don't have parents at home, right? Like I was the oldest daughter, so I was still the parent. I just had my younger brother and my younger sister home with me. I remember I spoke to no one about this incident. My parents didn't. I just came home, cried. It was like just maybe it was sadness. Maybe it was rage. You know, maybe it was you know, just feeling really frustrated or misunderstood. And that instance made me become very rebellious. And I think I learned that I can't be friends with good students if I want to protect myself. Does that make sense? Because yep. we were all like a group of like straight A, like teacher's pet, like, you know, classroom president, like TA kids. And when that happened, none of my friends were able to, and even I couldn't protect myself. Thanks for that. Um, I did not know your your family story, and um, and I don't know if our, our listeners actually know, but um, uh, my father was a doctor in Korea, and we went through the same process where he had to come here and basically become nobody. Wow, right? really? Into, okay. Yeah, and I think we came around um, at the same age. I came here when I was eight. Um, and so I, I can't imagine, like, going through all the schooling again and going through training again. And um, my dad going through his second residency is the reason why we moved to New York City for three years. Um, and so, I mean, shout out to all of our parents who did what they had or what they thought they needed to do. Because um, I, I think it's also important for for uh, professionals like vets and like doctors uh, to have that be their primary identity, right? And so um, to to not accept the fact that um, there's a chance that they have to be something else or somebody else. And so, um, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that experience because I, I think, you know, those negative or um, reinforcements, if you will, those things that said, you know, we're conditioned, right? Like that negative conditioning of like, don't do that because that results in X, right? And I think when when you're so young and you don't have 
you know, I think what you're doing now and what I'm doing is to make sure that there's positive role models and positive stories for young people to, um, you know, look up to. And I, and I don't mean that from an egotistical perspective, but our job is to make sure that uh, people have uh, other folks that they can look up to to tell them that it's okay to be a nerd. It's okay mm. to pursue a job in, you know, content creation. It is okay for fellow mothers to talk about the challenges in their motherhood. It is okay for dads to talk about the same. And so um, wh where did that lead you to? What did you want to do? And and what did you end up wanting to do, you know, as you navigated high school and college? Yeah. You know, the reason why I bring up that story is because as parents, um, I think it's really hard to accept that our children can go through difficulties at school, right? We think, um, you know, we're doing so much for them and, Sometimes I find myself doing this with my own teen daughter, like teenage years are very complicated. And looking back, like those kids that bullied me, they were Korean kids too. I think we're all just a group of lonely, isolated, depressed Korean kids, right? Just figuring themselves out. And it's because we all kind of had that, um, I don't want to say trauma, like we were living through something, right? New that we didn't know how to process yet. So that's what I don't want to pass on to my children. And I think it's around that time, you know, I think childhood, I think we're all doing an amazing job as parents of younger children. Like when they're babies, of course, it's difficult, but they're still babies. They're cute. They love you. Toddlers are crazy, but again, they still love their parents. I think it's when they become teenagers is when things start to shift. And when that shifts it's really hard for parents to accept sometimes the reality like the harsh reality of navigating the complex identity of being asian american you know and it's a lot more complicated because one it could be that we have uh, less intimacy with our parents maybe we don't feel as safe talking about certain instances with their parents like you know other families do um, maybe there's less um, non-judgmental type of conversation, right? So I think a, a lot of this can affect like growing children. You know, when you're a teen, we think they're older, but they're really not. Like they're all like little kids trying to figure themselves out. So that completely changed my, so I, so I think that kind of led to depression in high school. And of course, it was never diagnosed. I never saw a therapist. I was just acting out. I think I was acting out from my childhood. Maybe it was, maybe there was a lot more that I didn't understand that I was processing in that way without really knowing, right? Sometimes I think we do things subconsciously. And now looking back, I think depression runs in my family because when I, my mom also had three children. And she tells me, oh, when I had your sister, who's younger than me, she too had, you know, moments where like now if you talk to a therapist, they would say, oh, yeah, that's postpartum depression. And then now looking back, maybe my grandmother had the same thing because my grandmother, too, you know, wasn't always emotionally there for my mother. So this is like an intergenerational thing that are just kind of surfacing now. So Fast forward, so high school was really rough. You know, I was, it was just a really dark time of my life. Not that it was all bad. I had fun. You know, I love, that's when like the 90s, like 
Korean pride came, right? That, like, that was like the 90s uh, K-pop movement. I love the feeling of like, feeling like I belong. I never even thought that I was, I was feeling empty until that happened, you know, as a Korean American living in SoCal. I loved it. I became very Korean. I had amazing Korean friends. Um, we listened to K-pop. So the, it wasn't all bad, but it was a very complicated time. I ended up at UC Riverside. Of course, my parents were so disappointed because, you know, they were expecting so much more out of me. Um, at the time, I was like, you know, I don't even want to go to school. I don't even know what I want to do because looking back, I think I was always meant to be a creative, like an artist. I wasn't meant to take the straight and narrow path of academia, looking back, right? But back then, I didn't know. And my favorite classes um, were English and photography. I have photography as an elective, like once a week, right? Which is like not a lot. And I excelled in that class. I loved it so much. It brought me so much joy. But again, what was really important was like the math and the science, the OCHEM, the calculus, which I just wasn't interested in. So I think all of that, um, my difficulties during my high school, leading to my college years, just my confusion of what I want to do came from the fact that my uh, natural creativity wasn't nurtured properly. And I don't blame my parents for this because I know my mom always tried to get me to an art school and she did, but I think it was lack of resources, right? Like my parents just didn't have the research abilities, right? All they know is what they hear from their friends at church, right? Or like the Korean newspaper or the nine o'clock Korean news that they watch every night, right? So I think my parents would have supported me if they knew where to go, how to speak the language, how to communicate with the staff, the administrators, all of that. So that's what it, I think in the Korean American community back then, or just Asian American community in general, there was not a lot of discussion about the importance of arts or like how to nurture creative children, children who are meant to pave a new way or like try something new rather than following a prescribed way. So I, um, in college, I studied English. I graduated with a BA in English and visual arts and I became a mom. Like I, I got married as soon as I graduated college. So even then, I was kind of lost. And then I loved to read. Like I was, oh, that's one part that I forgot. So during my very complicated childhood and adolescent years, one thing I loved to do was read. So I was that girl that was just always with a book in her hand, where my mom had to come to my room and beg me to come outside and have dinner with the family because I would just read and looking back I think that was just my way of not just like exploring the world right like you can kind of travel through the world and different time periods through literature but it's also a like an escape right it can also be a very healthy form of escape where you're you know freeing yourself from your your present restrictions of you know, feeling confused. And, you know, my dad is still trying to get his license. And my mom is working these two jobs, and she still can't speak English. And my parents need my help to, you know, take care of these, you know, family things, right? And I'm still trying to figure myself out. And I need to come home and make sure my brother and my sister are well. 
So I was like that oldest daughter um, of an Asian immigrant family. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to this if they too are like that they play that that mother role, I guess, in the family. And they played that role before they were ready to even figure themselves out, right? So maybe that's why I always wanted to be a mom. I don't know. So um, I, after I graduated, I married my friend. Um, we weren't dating for a long time. And we got married. I always, again, wanted to be a young mom. And we ended up having two children pretty fast. I think maybe because we're young, like we never had trouble with pregnancies. And then I had two children. And I thought everything was going to be great. And then boom, came the special needs child and the postpartum depression. And that's what began my um, most important chapter of my life. Man, there's so much resonance there, Angela. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's really interesting to note sort of the additional roles that we played um, as children of immigrants that um, helped us grow up faster a little bit. Um, help help to um for better or worse adopt new vocabulary as kids that uh maybe we should or shouldn't have you know when when you shared about you know the um the triumvirate of all things truth in the southern california korean immigrant community <laughs> which is the korean newspaper the korean news and the church moms um yeah. god i hate that um but you know it's it's uh those three things probably have caused more trauma for my and your generation, our generation, we're about the same age, um, than anything else, right? Because what, what it did was it created this false sense of expectation of what should meant, right? Like, oh, like you, you, you know, you should go to this school or like, you know, so-and-so's kid did this. And so why don't you do that? And, you know, as much as I say now, like, oh, it was so bad. Like I, I, I feel for our parents and I have so much empathy because they didn't know any better. And that was their way of, doing all they could to maximize their resources to do the things that they thought was the best for us. And as, as parent now, like we have so much more information and resources at our disposal to do the research, to ask around the privilege that we have now to know the, not only the language, but the systems in which we exist. Um, and to ask for help if we, if we need the additional help. Um, you know, it, it has been, at least for me as a father, just, such a delicate balance of being grateful for what my parents have done, but also sort of wishing like, man, I wish that wasn't the case. Um, you know, I mean, and, it, and we joke about it now probably as a way of coping with all this stuff that we had dealt with. But um, you, you mentioned, you know, I, I think we're starting to get a good sense of sort of how all these things helped you find your voice um, in, in telling that, that mom narrative. Um, mm -hmm. When was there, because you said you had written a lot, you read a lot, you like sharing a lot. Mm -hmm. um, when did you start, perhaps as a hobby? And then when did you know or decide for yourself before you knew you that, you know, being a, a mom blogger or a mom content creator, as we would call it now, could be a viable career choice? Yeah, so I was always a, I love to read and write. And I knew that was where my strength lies. So in college, you know, when you study English, you, what do you do? You become either a teacher or a lawyer, right? So those were the natural paths that I was supposed to take. But 
you know, I knew that I didn't want to work with like younger children. I wanted to, I always knew I wanted to make an impact and share my story because I knew that just given my personal experience, my personal history and um, the language that I have to express that into words, um, I wanted to become a professor specifically of like Asian American studies or Asian American literature. Cause in college is when I discovered a lot of Asian American writers. And that's when I would feel like sometimes I'll just find myself tearing up because finally there was a story that I can relate to, you know, like um, as much as I love uh, like British literature, I love like the modernist period, but it just never felt the same. And in high school or no, sorry, not in high school, in college, when I discovered all those amazing Asian American writers, I thought this is what I want to do. And so after when I was, um, when I found myself depressed, I was like, okay, I need to go back. I can't be a full-time stay-at-home mom. So I asked my mother for help with childcare and I returned to grad school. And of course, I couldn't go too far. I had to stay close by. So I went to Cal State, Cal Poly Pomona. I completed my master's in English literature there. And luckily there, there was this um, Chinese professor, English professor. You don't see a lot of Asians in the English department. And he really mentored me. And I wanted to, and I was so sure this is the route I wanted to take. And um I did really well as a grad student. And once I graduated, I became a um, teaching associate. So I was teaching freshman composition. And I hate to say this, but I started realizing that there is like racism in the department, right? Especially in the English department. And I came across some instances with like the dean of my department. Of course, they're older white males where I can sense that they were just a lot more favorable towards other white male students than me, even though I felt like my work was just as good, if not better. I was always bringing um, fresh perspectives and they didn't like that. And that's what happened. And of course, as a part-time associate, I wasn't getting paid a lot. So I was dealing with a lot of I was just kind of, you know, like it was just too much stress, right? At the time, um, raising a young baby. And then um, my first daughter was um, getting her diagnosis. So I wanted to take a break. So I kind of put a hold on that. So I um, stopped teaching and I became a stay-at-home mom. And it's during that time I discovered blogging. Um when I couldn't really find books or stories about postpartum depression, the only thing that was out during that time was like, it was called Down Came the Rain. It was by Brooke Shields. It was like an actress. And I read her book and I mean, she has like four nannies. She can bring her, you know, her baby on set. It was so unrelatable. I cannot relate to her story. And then I started, you know, turning to mom blogs naturally to kind of hear their stories. And again, you know, there was a lot of like fluff, a lot of, oh, I love motherhood, nothing really real, nothing genuine. And most importantly, like no Asians. I thought, okay, this is it. You know what? Let me just start sharing my story. So back then, um, Huffington Post articles were really in. I don't know if you remember that time, but everyone was, you know, becoming a Huffington Post writer. That was a big goal of mine. So I started blogging as a Huffington Post contributor. So, you know, they'll pay you like 10 cents 
per click. It was like, you weren't even making much. But to me, it was such a big deal because now I get to write about anything I want, right? And get published. So I never really thought that mom blogs could become like a sponsorable kind of career at the time. It was more about having a blog, publishing articles and making money through ads or clicks. That's That was kind of the model back then. And I wasn't making a lot of money, but I loved, you know, doing what I was doing. And I thought, okay, maybe this could potentially be my next thing. So um, I just kept showing up and, and I had another baby. And, um, oh, and then the Instagram came along. I think Instagram was what changed everything because before Instagram, mom blogs were very long form writing, similar to articles where you get paid through ads. And um, when Instagram came along, I naturally, I because I love photography, I started snapping photos of my children at home and kind of just sharing stories of my daily motherhood life at home, you know, talking about Elisa's uh, special needs and the struggles that I'm, you know, dealing with, just sharing and just connecting with other moms. And then one day, like a brand reached out to me and said, hey, like, I'll give you, I'll send you this free stroller. Like, would you take this and take a photo and review it for me? And I was like, oh, wow, sure. I mean, strollers cost like $300. And that was actually like more than what I was making for my Huffington Post articles. I said, okay, sure. And that's kind of how the Instagram, the TikTok, the YouTube, like the sponsor content came about. That was the beginning of it all. How do you balance having your public persona be your family? Because I know that you, I'd love to know, I don't want to make any assumptions, but you know, you uh, integrate your children and your whole family into your content. Um, Is that been a difficult challenge for you? And and how do you, um, I don't know, I I have a lot of thoughts about it. And it's something that Kyungwon and I talk about constantly as as somebody who is also in, in the public content sharing space. Um, share, share with your thoughts and then perhaps some, you know, uh, advice or uh, perspective that you've gleaned for other folks who are, might be thinking about the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's such an important question because it's seriously, I think that was one of my greatest fears was talking, not only talking about myself and my own experiences, but sharing my children. Um, when I first started, I mean, I didn't think too deeply into it because I thought like I just had this small account and I was just sharing with my small group of people. I never thought this would be such a big thing, but I realized I just can't let fear make me just make that decision because I realized the benefit, the pros of sharing my story, which includes my children, outweighs the cons. So, you know, um, I have to be careful of my children's personal stories, especially now that like my older kids, I don't really talk about like my teenage daughter, like she knows what I do. She was a part of my content since she was young. I don't think she really minds me. Like she never says, mom, you share these photos of me when I was three or four. Like she thinks they're so adorable. She thinks they're so cute. She actually loves looking at photos of herself from back then. She just doesn't like me sharing photos of her now because she's a teen and she's older. Her friends, you know, follow me and see my stuff. I think at the end of the day, it's a very personal decision. There's really no right or wrong answer. For me, um, and I think your intention matters a lot too. If you're like 
I'm going to share my kids' stories so I can be famous and make money. Like that's a no, right? Because you're doing this for your personal gain. But if you have like, like, for example, for me, it was Elise and her story of special needs. And I thought, you know, God gave me a child like her for a reason. And I have this, um, this need, like this constant need to like share my story to help others. So I thought, you know, when these two things are given and like placed in my life, there's a reason for that. Let's see where this leads to. That's kind of how it began. And just little by little, opportunities started opening up and I would get emails from moms from all over the world. A lot of Asian American moms who tell me that my stories of depression is what helped them to seek therapy. Or, you know, even now I'm constantly getting DMs from other mothers whose children are just newly diagnosed with autism or, you know, there's so many disabilities now and they're constantly seeking for advice, seeking for guidance. And I think our story gives them hope because a lot of them tells me I feel so hopeless right now. My daughter's three. She can't talk. She's not potty trained. I feel hopeless. But when I see you and your daughter, my daughter's 17 now, and you guys are kind of navigating this and she looks really happy. She's healthy. She's thriving. It gives them hope. So when I feel that fear coming on, like, oh, I shouldn't be sharing my story and I shouldn't be you know, sharing pictures of my children, I kind of just remember that, you know, uh, I just remember what the story is doing for the greater good. And it's a constant balance. I have to do it in a way where it's not like just capitalizing on it, where it means something, right? It has to be meaningful, not just to myself, but to the community. And of course, you always have to be really safe about, you know, using their full names. I have some blogger friends who don't use their full names. I have some friends who don't share their kids' photos or their faces. And, you know, you never tag their schools. You never tag where you live. If you're ever sharing, you know, if you're traveling, I always share the day after, or I might share it once I'm like, I left the place. So of course, there are those common sense, like, you know, safety precautions that you have to take and overall you know it's um it's a lot but I think now it's it's different when you have younger kids I think your lives are so intertwined with the younger kids that their stories are kind of like your stories and your stories are like theirs right it's you're like very your identities are very enmeshed and of course like never share photos of them you know in their diapers, like when they're naked, bath, right? There's all those things too, right? You want to make sure you're not showing photos that are that could potentially, because whatever you post online is there forever. So you always have to be mindful. But as they get older, yeah, it becomes, you know, really complicated. So I think now <laughs> that my daughter is, my older daughter is able to give consent. Luckily, she doesn't really feel, um, I don't think she's upset about the fact that some of her old photos are online, but now I definitely have to get her permission and um, I pay her if she's ever in jobs. Cause a lot of brands reach out to me for jobs with my daughter. Um, and I have to always make sure she's okay. Same thing with my husband. He's a very private guy. He doesn't really like to be in a lot of my content. So if I do get an opportunity where they want all my family, I make sure my family is comfortable with it. And when they say yes, I do it. And then I pay my daughter as well. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's a hard decision. This is a decision that I made, but, you know, I don't know if it's the right decision for other people, right? It's a very personal one. Pay your kids um, and talk to your CPA about paying your kids because there's some, there's some benefit there if you're in the content business. Um, you know, one of the things that you and I talk about a lot, um, you know, through our DMs and, and just encouraging each other is the importance of our identity in the business, right? And um, it's not, you know, it is impressive that you built a giant business in the mommy space. It is more important than even uh, anything, I think, that it is you and you embracing your Korean and broader Asian identity into what you not only are sharing about, but also what you do behind the scenes, encouraging other folks to get into the business, building a community of other mom bloggers and other content creators so that we can embrace and amplify our voices together. Um, what do you want to see more of? Um, how do we grow? Um, we are underrepresented in both number of content creators and perhaps the amount of money that we get compensated for for similar work. That's been well-documented. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you, uh, dare I say, are, are one of the OGs in the game. Um, how, what do you think about the future and, and how do we uh, help other folks either grow what they've started or help them get started? So I know um, if you're a mother or a father listening, I know it's not easy to share your life and put yourself out there, especially as an Asian American, where we're kind of like taught to not bring attention to ourselves, right? But there is so much money in this industry and it's not going anywhere. So me personally, um, I want more Asian Americans to take up the opportunity and you know what? Get paid by those big brands and make them pay you to work with them because even if we personally have fears or whether we like it or not, it's not going away. And this is the next wave of advertising and marketing. I mean, social media is where it's at. How many people really watch the news now, right? Everyone's on their phones, whether it's Instagram or YouTube or TikTok. If you can kind of get over, of course, it's a very big decision. You know, talk to your partner, talk to your children. But if you're okay with, you know, sharing. And, and this is another thing I want to add too. Um, I share about my everyday life and I get paid to do so. And I know it's like a double-edged sword. Sometimes it's really difficult because there is no clear work-life balance. But in a way, it's really great because I get to really show my authentic self. I don't have to like put on this like another professional hat on in the social media space. Of course, everything that I share is very, you know, curated, meaning I don't, have to I don't owe other people like every piece of my life right so I have certain things that I keep private as well but the fact that I can just be myself and show up on social media because I'll be using social media anyway like I love using social media like why not use it with intention and why not monetize it that's how I see it and there are so many people out there creating content I mean if you're a parent and there's so much money, even in the dad space. I think we need more Asian dads to be out there making content, sharing their very unique perspective and partnering with brands. And I think at first, brands didn't really know how to work with influencers or content creators. So it was all about analytics, right? It was all about the number of followers, number of likes or comments. 
But now I think brands are understanding the value of just the content itself. So if you're able to bring like a high quality photo or a video um, or like a very interesting story or a unique perspective, like that, you can monetize that. Even if you have a thousand followers, if you're giving the brand permission to use your content on their channel or for whitelisting, which is like a whole nother topic, then you should be paid for that. So in short, I'm all about Asian. I, I wish more Asians will jump into the content creation space and make their money because this is really a, a multi-billion dollar industry. And I think it's going to get even bigger. And I know TikTok creators are doing so well right now, too. And, and look, even though um, American companies will tell us that we're such a small part of the community and we're only 6%, look at the world, people. We are four plus billion people with so much spending power and so much influence uh, in the world. And so um, I, I personally am inspired by a lot of uh, the things that you do, Angela. Uh, Kyungwa is a huge fan. Um, and I know that we're not alone. Um but you are doing something as as am I that our immigrant parents would have never imagined, um, let alone understand. Um, how do you make money doing that? You know, um, the internet was a, a brand new thing to all of us as we were growing up, and certainly not things that we thought of as business opportunities. Um, have you had a conversation with them, sort of about what your career choices have meant from their expectations and? Um, obviously, you're able to provide for your kids, which is important for grandparents, and you're able to visit your, you know, your your family and um, take care of them in a way as well. Um, but how, how do you, you know, tell us about that? Yeah, first, my parents didn't really understand what I was doing. You know, I was getting a lot of like people, just even close friends, well, well-meaning people say, well, "You just blog? Like, what do you do all day? You just blog?" <laughs> Like, yeah, I do. But, you know, I think now people are starting to understand better, especially like 2020 really changed things, I think, for the content creation industry where the brands were not able to create any more ads. They weren't able to produce any content in the studio and they were really turning to creators to do it for themselves. And that was where, like, I've been doing this as a mom, creating content from home for so many years. That's, I think, what really... Um, made this industry kind of explode, especially for work from work from home creators, people that are not just creating content outside of the house, but creating content from your own space. So now I think my parents are really proud. Like they tell their friends, oh, check out, you know, Bobby Diary. And they send them my links and, you know, they look at my blog and now they are. And I think they now, like they never actually told me explicitly, but I think it makes sense to them. I think my parents can kind of put the two to two and two together like oh the old Angela and what she's doing now oh yeah that makes sense so I don't think it's a surprise to them maybe how I got here you know was kind of complicated but I think that's the story of a lot of us especially when you are Asian American right and we it's just such a, such a co complex identity that I think I'm still trying to unpack it myself and um, now that I'm raising you know I have teenagers I have a five-year-old son and a toddler and raising children constantly makes me reflect on myself like they actually make me realize what I need to heal from more what, what I need to process more they're like a mirror I kind of see them as a mirror 
And raising my teen daughter is bringing up a lot of old stuff. So I'm actually currently working through that again. And, you know, I think this is like a never ending journey. I think when we were young, we looked up to our parents. We thought, oh, they're in their 30s and their 40s. They're adults, right? We think they're adults. They know everything. Now we see them as they were just young, young people in these grown ups' bodies, still trying to figure themselves out. And like you said, I have so much empathy and love and respect for our parents' generation because they really sacrificed so much, like going from having everything to nothing and having to start all over because they saw something in this country, right? They saw an opportunity that they never had. So I'm always grateful. And now it's making me address or kind of come face to face with a new set of challenges that I'll have as like a mom now, right? I'm not just a content creator, um, but I'm now a mom and now I have to be a good role model for the next generation. And when I see that things aren't really that much different in some ways, like I still see a lot of like silencing of Asian voices. I see that we don't really exist in a lot of professional settings, um, when they have big events and conferences, unless it's like an Asian American conference, I don't really see too many Asian faces. And those instances really upset me. So I think that's like my next 10 years. I really want to dedicate, uh, you know, part of my career to just setting a good role model and just letting my children know that, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm your mother, but in a way, I'm still a student of life. But let's do this together, you know? And I'm really grateful for outlets like this, like this podcast, what you're doing, because like we can't do this alone, you know? Because we're really going against the grain here. So we really need like strength in numbers, right? We have to connect and constantly share and, you know, just know that we're on this journey together. If not, I'm afraid we may like pass on, right? Like another layer of intergenerational trauma or, <laughs> you know, loss or whatever, confusion, whatever it is for the next generation. So that's like my next homework that I have to do. And yeah, I hope you can, you guys can all kind of join me. And I hope, you know, I'm so glad, Jerry, that we get to engage in conversations like this. And I want to start recording again. You have to come on my podcast. You're going to be my first father. (laughs) I mean, all the things that I think you've mentioned today, you know, elevating and amplifying father's voices because uh, particularly us Korean men, we we try to be tough. We want to be, you know, strong because that's what we were, you know, uh, we were taught as folks, uh, as kids. Um, But thinking about like all the BS and all the, uh, the trauma that our grandparents went through, through occupation and through war and what our dads experienced becoming, you know, sons under them. And then like in what one generation, like no wonder we don't talk about our stuff, right? Like that's, that's built in uh, to who we are. And so, um, man, so much that we can talk about. I I am most excited as, as you and I have spoken about, and you have alluded to, um, us commanding power on stages, whether the audience look like us or not to let them know that we actually make a better speaker because we come with the empathy of understanding what it means to be other, what it means to have different experiences and perspectives. And the fact that we get to do this, um, you know, is really, really humbling and awesome. Um, You know, I'm on the road as we were recording today uh, for a whole bunch of APAM speaking things. And, 
you know, we've been home for the last two years. And so, you know, my kids are finally understanding that sometimes daddy has to leave home. And, you know, I want them to understand one day that the reason why Appa has to leave home is actually for them. Yes, both from, a, you know, of course, from a financial, you know, providing perspective, but to make sure that they can live in an easier world um, and perhaps a safer world. Um, although every time we do FaceTime with my with my daughter, uh, I said, hey, where where's Appa? And uh, she just says, go make money. <laughs> and so uh, we want to do that. And, there, and, and you have certainly figured out a way to do that. Um, working with some amazing brands, you really are an inspiration to me and to so many other parents out there uh, beyond the business of just being able to share and, and define what Korean American parenting actually can be. Um, and so as we do always on the show, we want to uh, give you a chance to say um, one last thing to, um, and you can think about this in the context of talking to a younger Angela, talking to your kids in the future or other fellow moms out there, but um, shares any insights or inspiration, inspirational messages that you want to share with our audience uh, by completing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. Listen to that voice inside you. I always struggled to believe that that voice was my own. Sometimes you have to tune out the, the critic. And underneath all that, that layer, once you get to the bottom of it, you'll know exactly what you're called to do in this lifetime. And I think you live that, Angela, you amplify that. Um, and, and I do want to share with the audience, I, I think even just how uh, our, our friendship and our support of each other uh, has blossomed was uh, from a conversation that uh, happened on Clubhouse about a year ago. Um, and instantly, she was extremely supportive of the work that I was doing and wanting to connect and to, uh, you know, she. I, I remember saying, I want to help other people make money in the creator space. I've learned how to do it. I've become very successful at it. I am very frustrated that whenever I show up, the creator spaces, there are not more people who look like me. And so I want to dedicate the next chapter of my career, not only to build my business, but to help others. And, and, and you have done that. And so uh, thank you for that. And it really means a lot. Um, you and I are doing some cool events in the future. And um, we will just foreshadow that uh, we're probably going to be helping each other uh, expand our voices and, and to share stories out there. Um, and so Angela, thank you so much. And, and foremost, thank you to the entire Kim family for giving mommy an hour to chat uh, uninterrupted. Um, and so, uh, at mommy diary is where you can find Angela all over the internet. We will put the links, um, and, and you can support her, uh, by following her, by buying the things that she, uh, shares, um, and, and letting people, other people know. Um, uh, but I think the way that you can really help her is starting your own journey of content creating, particularly if you're a mother or a father and join us in sharing our stories to the world so that our children can have an easier and perhaps a more happier uh, Asian American, Korean American experience as we navigate this world together. So Angela, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Happy Mother's Day to you. Happy Mother's Day to Kyungwa and to all the other amazing moms in our world. And we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us and a big shout out to Angela um, for sharing her story on the Asian Americans. Shout out to her kids and her family for not bothering her during the recording time. And for those parents out there, we know how precious it can be to find an hour away uh, to record something or to uh, create something without um, 
without our kids uh, asking us for our time. And so uh, mommy-diary.com is where you can find Angela on the internet at mommy diary on Instagram. Um, or you can just Google mommy diary. Uh, she's been running this business for such a long time. And uh, mommy diary is synonymous with Angela Kim. Uh, big thanks to um, for her to saying yes to our interview. And uh, I, I can share with you that her real passion um, both on and, and behind the scenes is to elevate uh, and encourage other folks, Asian American folks in particular, to jump into the creator business and um, celebrate together, um, be successful together. And so uh, it really means a lot um, for, for me to be her friend and for her to be supportive of what we do as we continue to elevate all of our voices together. You can find us at theasianamericans.com. You can look up and please subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, would appreciate a review or sharing with a friend. On Instagram, we are at the Asian Americans. Personally, I am at Jerry J. Wan. JerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJerryJ